Welcome to season one, episode 19 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. Today, we're capping off Firefly Week with our friend Sean of Cheap Seat Reviews. Sean is a super fan of the 2005 film that sought to breathe new life back into a verse that was tragically cut short. But before we notice how the primary buffer panel just flew off our ship, or how to fly like a leaf on the wind, we're Joe and Mark, two dudes who have loved talking about the Firefly verse and are sad to see a great week discussing it with friends come to an end. After you listen to the show today, please visit our friends at Cheap Seat Reviews. They're a great show with over 340 episodes under their belts. They cover everything in film. Find them on Libsyn. If you got here by accident, though, and don't know much about this show, try searching for us on all major platforms by typing in Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast. If you're not following podcast websites, that's okay. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter by searching at Digital Dissect One. Our social media sites share more pop culture news and current information, so feel free to join the conversation. Well, welcome to everyone to the uh, third and final episode of our Firefly slash Serenity Week. And uh, because, you know, we've had it going the whole whole time, we're not going to stop now. We have yet another podcaster joining us today. So coming here from, it is the Cheap Seat Review podcast. Uh, you know, introduce yourself. Tell us, uh, tell us uh, more about your podcast and... You know, I would, I would say how we found you. That that's more of a Mark thing. He uh, <laughs> he peruses the internet for for folks and and promotion. So yeah, tell us more about yourself. Tell us more about your podcast. Well, hey, thanks for having me. This is uh, very exciting. And uh, so my name is Sean Allred. I am the host of Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. Uh, we're a film review podcast. We've been doing this for mm, well, we recorded episode three hundred and forty-seven last night and Ooh, nice Ooh, wow and, uh, so we've been doing it a while it's a lot of fun uh the whole potter and family on twitter has been great uh i only really figured out how to use twitter about six months ago and <laughs> nice. and and discovered that oh there's actually a way you can communicate with other podcasters and and be able to to collaborate with other shows which is a lot of fun um, regardless of download increase or not, which mm -hmm. you know is not the point. The point is, is that we get to have these fun discussions. And when you guys approached me and said, "Hey, you know, we're going to do this uh, Firefly kind of trilogy, so to speak, with the show and then the kind of the music com component and then the movie itself," you want to do the movie? I'm like, I could not have jumped. I could not have replied <laughs> yes fast enough on Twitter. So this is uh, <laughs> this is very exciting to me. Well, when, when I told you, Sean, that do you want to work together to get a three block radius pregnant with just our dulcet tones? You said, yes, let's do that. Yeah. And uh, you, you can't see it, but he's like going, yeah, Mark, why are you saying this to me? Don't say this to me. <laughs> but hey, we are so happy that you're here because um, you came highly recommended from uh, some of our other our friends in that, that Potter and family that you mentioned. So uh, Jesse from the Sudden But Inevitable uh, Rewatch podcast, who's actually joining us for our first episode of this week. Um, it, when I was starting to ask folks about who are our biggest Serenity fans that we know on Twitter, and uh, your name came up right away. I mean, there's almost no, you know, no hesitation whatsoever. 
Um, so yeah, once I started digging through some past tweets, I saw you just hyping it up and I said, we found, we found the right guy. Let's get him on. <laughs> well, I, and, uh, and I was on Jesse's show. I was on the sudden, but inevitable. Um, I helped them review the aerial episode and, oh, yeah. and unlike, so, um, if you've listened to their show, uh, either you two mm-hmm. or the listeners of this podcast have also listened to that show. Uh, you know, they had two of their, their of the four that were experiencing Firefly for the first time. And mm-hmm. I experienced it differently than what Josh and Kylie experienced it in that I watched the movie first. So my first experience with Firefly was Serenity. I had never even heard of Firefly. I was like so many millions of Americans that didn't know that this neat show even existed. And I was in right out of college. And when my roommate said, hey, this new movie just came out on DVD. Do you want to watch it? And I said, sure, what's it called? He's called Serenity. I'm like, all right, well, what's it about? Space Cowboys, sold. And <laughs> we watched it. We watched it, and I, I got done, and I was just, I was so blown away that he left to go do other life things that you do, and I rewatched it right then. I literally got ordered pizza and then watched it again. And, yeah. and I have probably since watched it over 20 plus times and yeah. I've, I've, you know, done the thing where you watch it with the director's commentary and, and all this stuff. And I'm proud to admit this is my favorite film of all time. Oh, that's I mean, awesome. This is, this is it. This is my favorite film. I'm a Trekkie. I love Star Trek, but, and, and usually when people say, what's your favorite movie? I just say Star Trek because they've never heard of Serenity. So it's just easier yeah. to say Star Aww. Trek because yeah. if I, <laughs> Because I know you know who you're talking to, right? Like if, mm-hmm. oh, what's your favorite movie? I just say Star Trek. Then if they don't ask which one, then I know I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> Star Trek because they don't know mm-hmm. that there's 13 of them, right? So I just, yeah, oh, Star Trek. Oh, okay. You like Star Wars? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's your that's your your plot mm-hmm. armor, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what I I used to use growing up was I would I would basically show people the the veneer that they wanted to see, but the folks that actually wanted to dig a little deeper those are the ones that I wanted to spend my time with. And so in, in seeing some of your background and and looking at the show a little bit, I saw through that veneer uh, right away and said, yes, we need to talk to Sean. Um, You know, what I'm always interested in and and Joe as well, when when we talk to other podcasts is to understand, you know, how did cheap seat reviews get started and and what's, what's your, your Marvel slash DC origin story here? It's just, simple as i think very a lot of other podcasts um obviously not recently i think a lot of podcasts recently have started because they were bored and the pandemic kind of gave them an opportunity to do it Uh, ours was we had a tradition um on black friday for about eight years um there were four of us in the podcast uh uh, myself sam chad and andrew or uh, cornelius excuse me and sam and chad married uh their 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 wives or sisters and so they would go do uh, Black Friday shopping and which we want zero part of. And then we all lived near-ish each other. And so we would take that day, that opportunity to go watch a movie that we wanted to see. And then we would go eat a, me- a meal afterwards and then just talk about it as mm-hmm. what literally what we're about to do, um, just with less structure. And, <laughs> and then finally- Less food, unfortunately, as well. Yeah, less food, yeah. <laughs> we usually went to the red, the local Red Robin because we like uh, burgers and things. Oh, and yeah. so we, uh, we did that for years. And, 
and then when podcasting kind of had its kind of has its first push in kind of the 2012 area 2013 2014 uh sam uh co-host said we ought to just record this and just see if people will listen and yeah. so i spent the next three or four months researching what it would take because at the time when you googled how to start a podcast you only got like three results like now yeah. you would just listen to a podcast on how to start mm -hmm. a podcast you know that wasn't yeah. an option then and we just piecemealed it and the 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 system that i use now to even do the show is very different than most people but you know whatever and i'm an audio guy by trade so of course i'm gonna use things a little different than most others but yeah we just um sam picked the name told me to be the host and um we just we recorded i don't know if you guys did this so we recorded like five episodes before we felt comfortable releasing one so there actually exists on a hard drive that will never be heard by anyone our <laughs> oh. review of serenity we did the movie ah. mm -hmm. oh my but our audio quality was so bad i was I, I did not feel comfortable releasing it and so finally when it felt good enough to release we uh, beverly hills cop was our first episode oh okay so, uh, yeah yeah and that was we, we, seven years ago we oddly did the same thing with recording five episodes mm -hmm. um so the we we figured if we're going to launch a channel let's let's have you know enough content for people to to chew on for a little bit while we're working mm -hmm. on the other stuff so but we actually released those first five um you know joe and i probably both uh, took a few years off of our life taking that leap of faith so um but yeah the quality got pretty good you know with the technology we didn't even have to do a whole lot with the mics that we purchased i mean mm -hmm. it filtered sounds out and so yeah. You know, here we are. Uh, yeah, everything together. but cats and corgis. It uh, keeps everything else out. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and and again, <laughs> yeah, in the, uh, the 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 heyday of it, or the heyday is the wrong word. In the uh, early days of it, you know, it was it was making up as you go along. And it's really interesting to me specifically when I go back and maybe not listen, but kind of go back and think think what those shows were, those original shows, compared to what our show sounds like now. Yeah. Um, not, not just in terms of quality, but content, you know, the way that we review the show. Um, I was probably episode 10 before I came up with the catchphrase that I introed tonight with. I, I hadn't even come up with that yet. You know, we were just making it up as we go. And so now we have, you know, segments that we do in every episode and we've just developed them along the way and it, it just evolves, which is great. And I always mm -hmm. encourage people to allow their show to evolve. You know, mm -hmm. find if there's something new that you want to try that you think will work, just try it. And then if you get feedback, they said, I don't like that, then, then stop or, or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is well, good. We'll, we'll find yeah. around eventually. But until then, I'll just keep uh, hitting Mark with the uh, the Judge Dredd um, catchphrase to throw him oh, off guard. Geez. <laughs> yeah, if you if you listen to our our uh, analysis of the 1995 Judge Dredd movie, um, which uh, premieres you know about a month before this episode, yeah, he he managed to stick me with that one liner from Judge Dredd about four times before I finally just like ripped the headset off and went, "Yep, we're good for the <laughs> night. Let's stop recording. We're moving on." <laughs> but but hey, speaking of moving on. We are here today to talk about a verse that was given a second chance. So we've we've moved on from the you know mm -hmm. the, uh, the 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 trauma of Fox canceling yet another TV show that they just mismanaged to hell, and 
now we're kind of looking at what's going on with the Firefly property after it leaves Fox. And ultimately at that point, Joss Whedon's kind of shopping around the idea. Universal picks up the rights to Firefly, gets it away from Fox. So he starts talking behind the scenes. And at this point in time, you know, it's it's right around the early 2000s, right? The show had just been taken off the air. And if you guys remember, back in 2002, 2003, we weren't really playing around on Facebook, were we? I mean, no. Facebook was... Yet. Yeah, it was, if it was around, it was very limited. This was back when you had to have an actual, like, university um, email address to even use Facebook. And even then, not every university was able to join. So, yeah, we were, like, you know physically hanging out with people and doing things um, well yeah. and and updating your mm -hmm. myspace page and oh of course sure that you had <laughs> the, the top right eight spaces you had your top eight mm -hmm. plus that music that you had to make sure was uh, blaring yes. when mm -hmm. you when you hit yes. their page you know you're gonna for me in 2004 yeah you're gonna get hit with some uh like mighty mighty boss tones a real big fish oh yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. yes and it's perfect because you got that when uh every once in a while when you're taking a break from your land party with your friends when you're gaming oh yeah yeah playing <laughs> yeah. unreal tournament yeah <laughs> oh my god <laughs> unreal yep. yeah. yeah halo Slamming 2 funions. i believe at the yeah. time yeah halo 2 was also <laughs> a big one um well, mm -hmm. it, it was a different landscape but guess what the the fans of firefly you know, were basically asked by the producers of the show, uh, you know, Joss Whedon and, and the, the crew surrounding him to get the word out. If you guys really love Firefly, we want to hear those thoughts after the cancellation. So back then, like you mentioned, we were still meeting physically and talking to people. So what did they do? They actually went to message boards, you know, like the uh, those those good old fashioned message boards I used to hang out on quite a bit. And yeah, just generating enthusiasm left and right because you know, the Firefly community wasn't that large, but the people it was comprised of were some of the most motivated and passionate fans, you know, you're ever going to find. Um, so part of this enthusiasm going to Universal, trying to make a case with Joss Whedon was the fact that the DVD sales were absolutely stellar uh, for the, the stock that was available when the show, you know, was officially pressed on DVD. And uh, at that point in time, you know, Amazon, who was still known for selling books and not a whole lot else, they burned through their 200,000 uh, unit inventory of pre-order space in minutes. I mean, people just bought the hell out of this TV show. So it's interesting to think that a combination of DVD sales and then fan outrage, which back, I mean, I'm fine with calling this the original Snyder Cut, you know, hashtag <laughs> Snyder Cut movement, <laughs> was, the, was the 2002 edition of uh, fans pushing Firefly as far as they could at that point. Because, um, yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, a lot of folks attribute this as, like, the original, like, fan Snyder Cut, you know, uh, I guess call to action, if you will. Um, so different technology, you know, different mm -hmm. different era entirely. Um, but, yeah, that's a big reason why we've even yeah. got this conversation. And I'm, I'm glad they did because I was in I'm, – I'm, I, don't know if I've actually said this in any of the, this week's episodes yet, but I was in the same boat Sean was, and I had never seen Firefly before I'd saw Serenity. And it was literally um, me hanging out with some new friends I just made uh, at college. And they're like, dude, guys, Serenity is coming out soon. This is going to be so great. And all of them were excited to see it. I'm like, what the, 
the heck is Serenity, guys? Like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. And they're like, how do you not know what it is? Like one dude with a Star Trek poster in his bedroom, you don't know what Serenity. <laughs> and so they take me to the movie and I'm like, this is fun, except for the one cool guy got shot with a harpoon. That sucked. I really liked him. And then you go back and watch the series. And it's like, wow. I think like if I am only one person on the show, I'm Wash and thanks. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no, I did the same thing. Like I retroactively fell in love with the series because I saw the movie first. So I am really glad uh, that the DVD sales just skyrocketed and this got a second win because of it. Well, I was one of those weird people that saw a couple episodes of the, the TV show, mm -hmm. but then uh, I saw Serenity on like the HBO and pay channels. And so Sean, you and I talked about this, you know, before we hit that record button that, you know, you, you've seen this movie many times and, and the fact that you, you also mentioned to us that you watched it for the first time and then immediately watched it again. Um, that was the same thing for me watching it on like HBO was that I watched it for the first time, not knowing a whole lot about the main series. And then as soon as uh, the first one, the first run ended, HBO goes, and we're playing an encore of Serenity. And I'm like, you know, I have literally nothing else to do other than to get, you know, drunk and eat pizza. So I'm just going to sit right here and I'm going to keep watching it. And yeah, I fell in love with the movie the almost the exact same way. Um, so yeah, part of the interest for me though, with this movie was the fact that, you know, it, it obviously still has the flair and the look of um, not, not quite the TV show, but the CGI, you can tell, um, I wouldn't say needed a little bit of help, but when I thought about that and started to read into this a little bit, um, part of the way they helped keep the costs down for this film was that they actually filmed it in California and they only needed a $40 million budget to do it. And looking back at it, I think it's a, it's a feat that they got their money's worth out of that. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I have. So whenever you have a product like this or, a, or a, something that you love, right, you want to share it with other people. And I have personally shared, um, I used to work at a university and I had students that worked for me. And so I would say, Hey, you, you like, uh, you like space movies and shows and stuff like that. And they're like, yeah. So on our lunch breaks, we would watch Firefly together, um, during, you know, and I, I did that probably to seven or eight of my student employees that got to watch the show and I got to introduce the show. And I did the same thing with the movie, the Serenity. Obviously, before I knew about Firefly, and at the time that, it, that the movie came out in '05, I was actually working in the business. I was in TV and film, and mm -hmm. and so I I'm showing this movie to my other film buddies, my you know the, the camera operators and and the other, and I'm I'm like guys, I, I got to show you this movie. What do you think? And then they watch it, and and of course they're watching it from a different point of view than I am, and you know the camera guy goes, "Man, that opening kind of sequence when they're showing the ship, that was a really great one take." Well, there's you can there's one cut, but you know otherwise it was really great. And I said, "Yeah, but that cut's so small you can't see it very well." And he goes, "No, it was really great." And and then you show it to the costume guy, and he's like, "Oh, that was really so." It was really neat experience, like ex to showing it to to other people. And I do remember them. They're like, yeah, the CGI is not really great. And I'm like, eh, 40 million bucks, you know? And, yeah. and, and, but again, yeah. you're, you're, they're also comparing it to, I'm trying to think, cause I wasn't doing, I was doing the, the movie 
or the TV show I was doing in Charleston was in 06. So I think it was like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory had just come out. I mean, that's like oh, that's like a mm-hmm. hundred million dollar Danny Elfman thing, right? Uh, Danny yeah. Elfman, Tim Burton thing. Yeah. Um, like it's a little unfair, you know, to compare. Yeah. Um, and then Revenge of the Sith came out. I mean, just before Serenity did too. So you've yeah. got you've got a big mm-hmm. budget sandwich on both sides of of this movie coming out. Um, which and I think the the Batman Begins came out this year too. Yeah. Yeah. That's sure did. did. Yeah. Yeah. And wasn't one of the Fantastic Four movies this year also? Yeah, That's but I don't know if that memory. really. <laughs> Fantastic I, Four. I mean, the um, movie's bad, but it doesn't look Visually, bad. yeah. Visually, it's yeah. fine. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a heck of a trailer for that movie. I remember being actually, I'm not even a Fantastic Four fan at all growing up. I thought they were one of the lamer superhero teams out there. But was that <laughs> like trailer for that first movie pretty hype? Um, and like, I think um, a Perfect Circle song. Um, uh I think it was like yeah. counting bodies like sheep or something. Interesting. And it just really, really rocked. You saw the thing like stop a semi truck by just putting his shoulder into it. And it looked really cool. Yeah. And then, then you got what you got there. But anyway, <laughs> hey, uh, Serenity, yeah. a more fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> Way more of a yeah. fun movie, even though I, not visually striking as that one. If I can hijack the show for 10 seconds, I want to stay here for just a minute. If it's okay, if oh, you please. want to edit this mm-hmm. out, feel free to. There are only two film trailers that have like impacted me. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that you remembered that is interesting because I don't remember that trailer. But the two that that I remember very visually, vividly, I mean, excuse me, is the Spider Man one, the Tobey Maguire one. Oh, yeah. The original Mm -hmm. teaser with the towers. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the helicopter, yeah. And the helicopter in the web. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, they have made a live action Spider Man and this Mm -hmm. looks amazing. Yes. And of course, 9-11 9-11 changed the whole everything yeah. mm-hmm. about everything. Yeah. And, you know, then they, 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 they had to add the CGI in some, you know, American flags at the end of the movie to make it a little more patriotic. But that trailer always affected me. The second trailer that I was literally weeping at was I went to go see Iron Man 2000 or one, oh. 2008. <laughs> I went to go see Iron Man. And in the yep. trailer the previews for Iron Man, I had, missed completely that jj abrams was doing a new star trek and yeah <laughs> it was the yeah. teaser trailer for that star trek mm, where it oh. shows these men they're working the with shipyard the, yep the shipyard yeah. right and you don't know what they're doing and you Not just at all. hear i think it's john f kennedy is doing a speech or something yeah and yeah. and then you get just the hint of the original theme as the camera pans Pans back out. and you yeah. see the top of the saucer and one oh, of them yes I was like weeping and my my wife is looking at me going, really? I said, what? <laughs> she says, you didn't even cry at our wedding. And I said, this is new Star this, Trek. But this is the Enterprise. Oh, honey, yeah. my, my eyes are just sweaty, okay? They're, oh. they're just sweaty. They're not, I'm not crying. Yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know what, though? Hey, Sean, you actually bring up a really good point about eliciting the responses of the, the audience here. When it came to Firefly and Serenity... That is something that the Fox team screwed up. And that is something that Universal also didn't really do a good job of here. And, and it, it comes across in, the, in both the, the ratings for the TV show, which oddly enough, the TV show had ratings that were almost twice as big as Game of Thrones first episodes were. It, just to give you a, a, a hint of how TV ratings are kind of you know wonky. Um, but, but still, the, that's with this property, it's been a consistent problem. They just can't seem to get the right audience in the seats watching this thing 
Um, so that showed up in the box office in 2005. And unfortunate lesson for, you know, for the, the some of the most passionate people of this show to have to learn um, is that, you know, you've put a lot of good effort into this. You've made some good content, but they just can't get people to see it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like you kind of mentioned this. It's almost like an inner circle, right? You know, Firefly and Serenity have felt like this uh, this inside like thing like there's like an inner circle of people that love these properties and that's the same way that that i found out about the show was my brother sat me down and said hey check out this show i think you're gonna like it and so unfortunately that's not how you make big budget numbers and sequels you yeah. know yeah yeah but hey word, you know what yeah yeah word but, of mouth doesn't always work when it's when you're you know like word of mouth works all right when it's either like a super low budget and there's not an expectation. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, what's a good example of that? Uh, <laughs> the room? The Well, yeah, but that's so bad it's good kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I was thinking like, uh, like, what's that new Nicolas Cage? It's not new, but oh. like that Mandy, right? Like, yeah, you know, I've not yeah. seen it, but everyone mm-hmm. says it's actually like one of the best horror flicks ever. And yep. you know it's like an eleven dollar budget because it's Nicolas Cage, and but like the like it has like a grassroots kind of thing, or or you know, I, I'd never want to give credit to Bird Dimmick, but maybe maybe it's a little <laughs> bit like that. <laughs> well, the, these movies do exist. I mean, the one that I'm mm-hmm. thinking of is a movie called Blood Creek that came out um, that had uh, Michael Fassbender, Dominic Purcell, and uh, oh. Uh, Oh, I knew I was going to do this. I always forget like one name. I think it's just part of the aging process here. But um, uh, it was, oh, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill was part of this movie called Blood Creek, okay? Low-budget horror film. It was actually a really well-done one, and nobody's seen it. And I've been I've been kicking it around. It came out in 2009, too. But yeah, yeah, these movies exist. I mean, these actors got to make insurance somehow, so they're making movies all the time. You just don't always mm-hmm. see them. Um, so yeah, it's... Yeah, it's one of those cases of the same type of thing here. But you know what? We've talked a little bit about the background of the movie. And for those of you who've stuck with us this long, we are going to talk about Serenity. Um, so why don't we why don't we uh, just crack that one open? You know, you, you mentioned the the opening to this movie. And we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about this in, in our episode uh, with Measuring the Score, that they did try to call back to the TV show a little bit. And... What you mentioned with seeing the Serenity, you know, logo with that solo violin playing. Um, when I first watched the movie, it didn't hit me as much because I hadn't seen the show yet. But as soon as I saw the TV show, recognized the music, and saw the importance of that Serenity logo and the music playing, um, to quote you about being brought to tears, my eyes are a little misty uh, getting to see that logo. <laughs> <laughs> and get, getting to see a little bit more money behind it. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, I thought what was really cool about this, though, is that, you know, this was a a property that they thought would never get revived. I mean, as passionate as the actors were. And so the actual, you know, ship, the Firefly ship, they had actually torn down that entire thing and they had to rebuild it. Uh, I mean, the entire thing from from memory. Um, so I thought it was really cool that when we when we do get back into this, um, you know, the writers of the movie had a pretty tall order to introduce you to all of these characters and the ship. The ship's a character on its own. 
and we, we have to get through this fairly quickly. Um, what are your thoughts on on the introduction process and how they handled that here? Yeah, so so there's two things. For those who've watched the movie, know that when we use the word opening, we're not talking about the prison or the the hospital escape. I don't think of that as the opening. I think of that as the preface. That is the, yes. if mm -hmm. you were reading a book, it would be the preface before chapter one, because that's the only part that's before the TV show, right? That's, we, they didn't get a chance to film in the TV show mm -hmm. for various reasons, how Simon broke her out. Here's that, here's that story. So, yeah. Yeah, so again, when we're saying first scene, I am talking about the, the, I'm going to use air quotes for one cut. There is a cut, but the one take shot. And I, I love the scene for it, introducing the characters from the point of view of having never seen the Firefly show. I immediately know that guy's the pilot. He calls him wash. So I know his name is wash. I don't know. his I don't know his full name. I just know his name is wash. Then he, then he literally grabs the, the thing and says, this is the captain. Okay, we know you're the captain. He walks yep. down the stairs. We see Jane. Jane, what? You, how many guns are you going to bring? You only got the two arms. Well, I get excited with the choices. <laughs> off, I have my so, so now we know that he's not only is he like the heavy weapons muscle because he physically is bigger. And Adam Baldwin gained muscle for this role. I mean, he oh, looked yeah. significantly mm -hmm. larger. Uh, yes. which, which seems difficult to do, but he he looks beefier in this. So now we yeah. know he's the heavy weapons guy. We 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 walk down the aisle a little bit more, and then uh, Zoe comes out, and she says, "We crashing again." He says, "Talk to your husband." Okay, we've now established that they're that they're a, they're a thing, right? Yeah. And then we yeah. move in. There's Kaylee. She's in the engine room. Obviously, she's the mechanic. Uh, yeah. My ship don't crash. She crashes. You crash her. And yep. then he doesn't call him Simon. He calls him Doc. Hey, Doc. Yes. I guess we'll need to get inoculated mm -hmm. before we go. So now he's the doctor, right? We have now met the entire crew. And, well, River, I guess, is the last one that's, that's part. And then <laughs> they have that conversation about, about River. Yep. And I, I love it. I love the way that they did it. I love that they did it in a one take. We get to see the ship. We get to walk through the ship. We get to experience it as the ship is coming in for a landing so things are shaking and the yeah. fact that they were able to have the budget to put the to build the set on a gimbal a little bit so they can make things shake yeah and it's such a brilliant thing and if you're wondering where the the cut is it's when um nathan fillion walks they go down the stairs towards the med bay and nathan yep. wipes mm -hmm. wipes the camera and as the camera is panning back to pick up simon that's the cut and then we simon is back yeah. on, on the on the screen and goes down. It's, it's brilliant. It's really it's really great. I love it. And I, I love that you you broke down that scene. Like I mean, pretty much frame for frame because mm -hmm. it's 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 poetic in a way. How how quickly they catch us up to speed, right? Because if you haven't seen the TV show and you don't know about some of the, let's just say the timeline here, okay? Like between the end of the TV show and the movie, the estimate is that we're anywhere from a few weeks from the finale. Or you know maybe a few months to six months. Okay, so like in that time period, we shouldn't have seen a whole lot of change mm -hmm. outside of some things that maybe made sense at the end of the TV show. Um, that's why Anara's not on the ship, right? You know, at the end of the at the end of the, the TV series, it's it's basically like, yeah, I think I'm gonna 
leave the boat and I'm going to focus on something else. So she's not there. Okay, even if I didn't watch the TV show, that is not critical. I mean, she's just not there. So that's okay from a storytelling standpoint. And the same thing kind of goes with Shepard Book. You know, he's he's already kind of planting the seed if you're a TV show fan um, that I maybe I picked the wrong boat. He's having some doubts about the decisions he's made along the way. So if you are a fan of the of the TV show, it's not a disappointing start, at least not in my eyes. I thought they did a, a fancy or a, a fine job with that. Um, and so it's, it's kind of nice that we're saving those plot uh, threads for a little bit later, you know, into the movie. Yeah, and if you haven't seen the movie, like you don't have to go um, out of the way with a ton of backstory on these characters. Just those, again, like Sean pointed out, those really nice, subtle ways of pointing out exactly what that person does, either what they're carrying, uh, what Mel says to them, or a title is thrown at them. You just get to know who they are by either subtle actions, a quick good one-liner, or an introduction and you move on. We don't need um, flashbacks for every character to figure out more about them as the movie goes on. Uh, you get to just really enjoy the main story that the, that the movie's trying to talk to us about. Yeah, this isn't a Christopher Nolan film, uh, you know, where we get a flashback uh, every, every 15 to 18 minutes. Um, you know, check your, check your watch the next time, um, which, which isn't a bad storytelling, you know, method, but yeah. yeah but it does just, get tired just... when everything does it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The other, the other, the, I guess the last one that I mentioned, I, I forgot to mention was the fact that they, they establish um, River. Uh, he uses the phrase, she's a reader she sees into the truth of things and yeah so if you having if you've not again not seen the show you can kind of get a hint oh she's got some gifts you might not quite know what the extent of that is you know then you then you watch the show and then you get all the breadcrumbs that the show gives you that she she can legit read minds mm -hmm. um um kind of all the way through the series and so when when we get to the to the opening scene with her and he refers to as a reader. You realize, okay, they know that now, and they're going to, they're going to exploit the the gift that she has, um, which is a really interesting point that you bring up because it's not just uh, it's not just the continuation of of the storytelling that they've done here. I mean, it's it's actually a pretty responsible choice to present her last because if you notice, the music changes when she's introduced. You know the feel is is totally different like we're singularly focused on her and so you really can't run away from it i mean it's it's right there in front of you so that let's just say if you're one of those general consumption moviegoers and you need things bluntly pointed out to you i i mean this is about as bluntly pointed out as you can possibly get like if you miss this point okay maybe you just didn't want to watch this movie right like they they did a really good job with uh with making sure you know exactly the context you need uh, to get this going. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, diving right into, into the plot of the movie, um, you know, b before I even had seen the TV show, the idea of these, these reavers or, you know, space cannibals, however you want to bring them up, the TV show references them. So if you're a fan of the TV show, you're not confused by it. Um, but if you're just a first-time viewer and seeing the Reavers, it really 
kind of shakes the tone of of everything you're introduced to. Um, you've got this whole like kind of pseudo family dynamic, you know, um, you've mm -hmm. got this quirkiness and then all of a sudden you've got this, this hard turn, like running into a metal wall and suddenly, you know, we've got these, these guys who've got skins stitched into their clothing coming after you. Um, so as far as a, a narrative choice, you know, for starting off this movie with it, you know, Sean, what, I guess, what, what feelings came out of you, uh, seeing that as like the first plot thread here? So the one thing that it, so the movie has a, when you, when you start off again, outside of the opening scene, the, the very first scene, when we, when mm -hmm. we establish the crew, it's kind of fun, right? Other than the fact that Simon's kind of pissed at the captain and they're having a little bit of friction. It's, it's a, it's a heist, right? We're, it's just a heist movie and it's kind of simple. And then when uh, Jane comes running down, I mean, we, we're getting humor throughout this whole moment, right? You know, oh, yeah. River points to the guy that's got the gun. Zoe questions her with a look. She gives her a look back. Like, I know what I'm talking about. You brought me here. I'm the, of course, that's the guy, right? Yeah. So then we get, and then we get the other great line. One of my favorite lines of the movie is when they open the safe, but the safe is like this little cubicle, right? And they got the little camera inside. <laughs> and so he says, at last, we can retire and give up this line of life of crime. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then they open up the actual safe, right? And then you know Malcolm mm -hmm. gets to say, we're going to come down there and empty that vault. I need your authorization password. And then uh, you know, yeah. Jane fires boom, off. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah. And the guy just says, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so, so up until this point, it's just kind of a happy-go-lucky um, heist. And then all yeah. of a sudden, she freaks out and says "Reavers," right? And the music yeah. changes, the tone changes. the The big bad man with a, a thousand guns on his hip is now scared, right? The guy yeah. is terrified. So even if you've not seen the show, you know what's about to happen is going to be real bad because the big guy with the guns is terrified. And so yeah. then Mal Mal one hundred does a one eighty. You get them inside the vault. You seal the vault. As long as you got air, you stay here. So, so now you know instantly that Malcolm Reynolds cares about other people. He cares about folk, right? Yeah. And yeah. so now we've got some his backstory, um, yeah. other than the other line where he says, "Brown coats, hey, eh? you fought for the independence." And he says, "We're all just folk yeah. now, right?" So we yeah. got we get a little more sprinkling. But when the Reavers attack, it's just it's just this frenetic, kind of insane thing, and. They're asking, you know, Jane asks the question that we as the audience are asking, why aren't they blowing us out of the sky? And then River has the most terrifying line in the in the movie, they want us alive when they eat us. Yes. Um, because Which, we Yeah. Yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say you, you make a really good point about wanting to eat us because um I I specifically noticed this uh, a few years later that the guy in the the bar that she points out is actually Glenn Howerton of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia who plays Dennis Reynolds, and and you know what, it's it's a great role for him. It's a quick one, um, but yeah, like they shoot him in the heart as they're as they're riding away from the Reaver attack. So to reinforce your point of Malcolm Reynolds does actually care about common folk. Yeah, he shoots this guy in the heart, but it's because he knows what's going to happen to him. And it's yeah. a quick judgment decision that he has to make. If he doesn't do it, that guy is going to have the most terrible end of all ends. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to make sure we reinforce that before we got away from it. Yeah, yeah unless, they, you know, he could have dropped the payload. 
Wow. Well, or Jane? Well, Jane? Or Jane? Or Jane? Or Jane? Maybe Jane. Jane. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, and they and they make reference to the fact it's a t- it's a piece of mercy because what the the movie the, the river line they want us alive when they eat us is substituting the line from the pilot Serenity, in which yeah. Zoe explains to Simon if they catch us they'll rape us to death, eat our flesh, and sew our skin into their clothes, and if we're yes. very lucky they'll do it in that order. Yes, um, and so. So because we don't have that terrifying you know, sentence, we needed someone else to say something scary to get us for us to really get the impact of how, how dangerous it is. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned the guy that, that they, sh- they, they shoot. So in the director's commentary, uh, Joss Whedon is not shy about that Malcolm is based on Han Solo. I think that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at this point in, in our lifetime, the Han shoots first is, uh, is a thing. Right, because yeah. the new movies, the or uh, episode extended editions, yeah, the the, the yes. Lucas cuts have come out and the new rock edition, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So now we have the you know Greedo, and they they shoot at the same time, right? Which is dumb. And so Joss says, not only do I want my hero to shoot first, he shoots you even if you're unarmed. And so yeah. if you count, he shoots three unarmed men in this movie. <laughs> uh, two of which he kills, right? The Alliance guy at the end, the that yep. guy is about to get at, and the operative. He shoots him right in the chest, mm-hmm. point blank, you know. So I wanted to point that out, that it's it's kind of awesome. You know, it, it kind of is just basically giving a middle finger to Star Wars, or basically George <laughs> Lucas in particular. Which is okay. You yeah. know, they, they've, mm-hmm. they've made billions of dollars, you know, they're not hurting. Uh, why, <laughs> why not punch above your, your class mm-hmm. a little bit here, right? Yeah. Um, but, but you know what, though? Um, I'm really happy you mentioned the operative here because this does give us an opportunity to really tie back into some of the threads of the TV show. And we've talked about this unification war in one of our earlier episodes that covers the main series. So you've mentioned the brown coats and how they fought against the allied planets in the solar system. So the central planets versus the outside planets um, to decide, are we going to remain independence or are we going to come all together? And one of the things that if you had watched the TV show up to this point, you know who the Alliance is and that they have some very secretive operations going on. Uh, You mentioned the Academy with River Tam and that Simon breaks her out at the beginning of this movie. Well, you have to dig kind of deep on this to understand why the operative is even a part of this this universe. Because if you remember in the TV show, we had the blue-gloved men, right? They they show up uh, basically trying to apprehend the Tams and bring them back, you know, into Alliance custody. Um, if you remember, they've got that really cool blue pen that basically boils your blood from the inside out. But but is it? <laughs> <laughs> this was my argument when I was on the sudden but inevitable. That was my argument was that the little blue pen of death is kind of the dumbest thing in Firefly because, <laughs> because and, and here's the thing. And this is, and then people make fun of me all the time. I like rules. I like things that make mm-hmm. sense. I like things that follow a basic sense of logic. This yeah. thing did not have a front or a back. It was just a thing you held in your hand. Did it matter which way he held it? Why did it affect them? Does there is the, like these are the if he 
if he puts it in his pocket and then he puts in some change from going to McDonald's, does does the quarter flip thing out and now his leg melts? Like these are the questions <laughs> I need to know. And fortunately, I am prepared to answer your questions, Sean. Oh my um, gosh. Now now I am not like a, a firefly professor or a verse professor, but I do know about some of the threads from the comic book. And that's why I'm happy we went down this path because the blue glove men or however you want to call it, the men who wear blue gloves, sure, they're actually not real men. Uh, you find out in the comic books that they actually are somewhat robotic in nature. And I don't just mean, uh, I don't just mean in like the literal sense, but I guess I kind of do. Um, but when you look at it in the comics, they actually have like screws on their body. So they are, uh, you know, a, a non-synthetic entity. And they always show up in pairs because mm -hmm. these two share a consciousness or a mind together. They, they work in tandem. So that blue pen doesn't affect them because, well, they... Well, they're unbelievable. Yeah. 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 They, they, so, so that's why uh, one of the reasons why they're retired, though, um, in the comic books, they actually show that one of the uh, folks from the academy that, that River actually knew, um, his name is Silas, he actually, like like beats the hell out of another pair of these two. So there's a female pair and a male pair. So after they find out how quickly dispatched these people who wear blue gloves are, the Alliance decides we need to go with something else to acquire the TAMs. And that's why we get the operative. Uh, the operative has proven to be um, a more reliable person to rein them in. So for those of you that uh, hoped I would have had a, a, a spoiler alert there, um, I apologize, <laughs> but, but that's the explanation. But yeah. That's, but at the yeah. same time, like I, I really liked the operative as opposed to, uh, the blue gloved men because the operative seemed like he was a, I don't know, I want to say no nonsense version of the bounty hunter that we got from the last episode of Firefly. Um, mm -hmm. because like, I feel like they had that same mentality that they know you better than you know yourself and they're going to use that against you sort of uh thing but like i feel like in the show like the bounty hunter with joked around i don't want to say i mean he wasn't like you know like in your face with jokes but i feel like the way he presented that was more funny or it came off more funny to me than it did with the operative who basically told you why you screwed up and why he's yeah. going to make you pay for it. Yeah. No, you're yeah, that's that's a good way to look. I mean, because the Jubal Early character from um Objects in Space. Uh, yeah, I love that episode. I, mm -hmm. I love the episode and I love the character because it's because oh, yeah. he's weird. He's mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. You know? He's a dude that lives in a small ship by himself. And yes. and just he's just a weird dude. You you think that's right? I, I, and but the questions that he asks are like they they feel like TikTok questions now. Yeah, you know, yeah. like when you is see that her room because she lives in it, or is it <laughs> is it is it her room because her things are in it? You know, you're like, yeah, uh, both. Yeah, is, is it still her room if she's not in it? Hmm, does that seem right to you? <laughs> Deep thoughts. Yeah, with I mean, a it, firefly bounty hunter. It, it kind of is, and which which does kind of make it fun. You know, he's like I like. He's always talking about the you know, the gun and the simplicity of it, and that it's elegant, and you know it's just a, but it's just an object that has a point. And, but anyway, but back to the operative. So obviously the actor who no one can pronounce his name, Chiwetel Ejiofor, I believe is how they pronounce his name. I love it. Um, uh, yeah, 
Um, yeah. He's great. This is my first time seeing him on TV uh, in a movie. And so, and I'm really glad that he as an actor didn't get typecast as just the bad guy, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which, which I think is really good. So, so his performance is great. And, and I totally agree uh, with you, Joseph, that I think that the operative is such a great, as a, such a more menacing villain than the mm-hmm. two by two hands of blue, not because there's not a nursery rhyme with him, but also because <laughs> he, he seems more terrifying right yeah because mm-hmm. because he has reason and he's clever and smart mm-hmm. and he thinks that he is he for lack of a better word he feels like he's righteous yeah that's yes. i was thinking like you yes. think of like uh like john wick uh they they, they have that they like that movie like the, the first john wick movie does a great idea of making you like kind of enamored with the myth of john wick within itself Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, they have like the big Russian mob guy says that John Wick is a man of focus and conviction, and that's what the operative feels like. Yeah, is he is yeah. fully in belief that what he's doing is the right thing to be done, even if it is necessarily like he said, like he has no illusion about his job that it could potentially be seen as evil, but he still thinks it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, and it's a it's a it's a very important. Uh, thing to have in a movie for people to understand the motivations of the villains and we've we've analyzed this in a couple other films along the way on this podcast that when you can't truly understand the motivations of your characters if done poorly then it can become a very silly premise right uh in the case of the joker in the dark knight though you don't really know what motivates him other than just creating madness and creating panic right so for us to be able to look at the operative and know that, yeah, it's this conviction, it's this belief, um, that makes it a very powerful thing because at least you can understand then, right, what the what the villain's doing, why he's doing it, and you're not spending the movie questioning that process. It's like, nope, it's locked in. Mm-hmm. I get it. I know what they're doing. Um, and so it's, it is a very big difference, like you mentioned, with uh, Jubal Early because Early is really all over the place. Um, and so I think a focus like this is really, really important for this movie because it elevates the pluckiness of the TV show into a very strong narrative driven process in the movie. Um, and so you go from less about, let's just talk about going from point A to point B on the TV show to now we're literally protecting the fabric of the galaxy. I mean, it's a totally different viewpoint, uh, going from TV to movie here. Yeah, I mean, in the the TV series, uh, and even in this, like, I mean, it starts off with them just doing another job, seemingly, uh, which is what they were doing in the TV show. It's just job to job, trying to make a living, trying to keep the boat in the uh, in, the, in the air, and then they realize that having the Tams on board, they're part of a much much bigger story and and something here, and because of because of who Mal is, like like you said, like you get these many facets of the character of he's, he's witty. He shoots first. Um, he seemingly is willing to be the bad guy to keep, make sure that his family's fed. Um, but at the same time, he will make sure he does the right thing in the end because that's who he is as a person. So when he figures out um, like what's happened, he is committed to making sure that the truth gets heard in this movie. Yeah, and I think it's an important point too here that um, 
you know, they, they, once again, they don't spend a ton of time talking about these unification war uh, that was such a big focus for Firefly, mm-hmm. right? We get little things kind of sprinkled about that, you know, in, in the intro to the film and how they talked about the history of the verse and all that. Like, it's a pretty quick hit. They just, they, they quickly show it to you. Um, Sean, I'm interested in your thoughts on this because this is, this is how I viewed the movie after multiple viewings and then consuming the TV media. Does this movie kind of feel like a second unification war after you start to look at, you know, the motivations of Mal and, and really what they're doing here? That's interesting. Honestly, I never have thought of it that way uh, as a second war. I always kind of thought of it as um, it, 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 the movie starts off with one trope of it's a heist movie. And then we transition to um, a space version of American Ultra, where we've got this secret yeah. agent thing. And then the movie tra- changes again into we now have the one ring that we have to go destroy. Um, there's other there's <laughs> other movies. There's probably a better analogy than the Lord of the Rings analogy that they have to go on the quest in order to. Um, there are other movies where you know the people feel like they have to blow the whistle on the government kind of thing. Not quite Jason Bourne, but there's something similar there. Um, so yeah, I never, I never actually thought of it as a unification war, because even the operative at the end says you, you, their regime is just weakened, but it's not gone, and they're not forgiving. So the idea that if there was going to be more, if if, this, if there was going to be a sequel. It, it was going to be hard. Like mm-hmm. life was going to be real hard for them. Oh yeah. I think they'd be on the run constantly as opposed to just flying under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that would have, and then I think that might've been the point is that, yeah, because even, because even in this movie, um, you mentioned earlier, we don't really know from the last episode objects in space in the movie, how much time has passed, but we do know that things have gotten harder. Because not just mm-hmm. the fact that Anora is gone, it's Anora is gone, and they haven't talked to her in a while. And yes. Shepard Book is gone, and we don't really know why. We just know that he's gone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's also bad enough that the captain no longer refers to Simon as part of his crew. Yeah. Some, yep. some things have happened. They have had some missions go wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to the point that Malcolm says... Uh, you know, if we, if we, if I dump the payload, you know, I got, I got bits falling off my ship and a powerful need to eat this sometime this month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not to mention, everyone seems to assume Kaylee's running off of batteries, which <laughs> is just horrible. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I do kind of feel bad for uh, Jewel state because like, it feels like everywhere she goes in life, people like just make her say that line. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. And like, mm-hmm. I feel bad that that that's the thing that she's associated with, right? Like, you have mm-hmm. other actors, you know, like people run up to Jack Nicholson and say, "Say, here's Johnny," right? Or, yeah. you know, like there's probably other ones that are more, um, mm-hmm. like uh, they go up to, uh, oh gosh, what's his name, uh, Mandy Patinkin, and say, "Say the line, say the line." Yes. I'm yes. Where she gets uh, grunted on a year. I ain't nothing uh, twixt my nethers weren't run on batteries, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then all of the guys in the convention probably all say in unison, I could stand to hear a little bit more. I could, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just like, uh, like we've, uh, Mark and I have talked about like, if we could have a drinking buddy from, uh, uh, from the show, who would it be? And mine, mine is instantly Kaylee. Uh, just yeah. me 
growing up having uh, a bunch of car friends in high school and we spent a lot of our weekends like walking like to a neighbor's house and just helping with whatever automotive job they have and i feel like kaylee would be hanging out in that garage with us just like fixing whatever's there and she would yeah. know more than any of us of, as to what we were doing and i'm like this would be the coolest person in the room for me to hang out with and, and have a beer with so like i got like i i really associate like this would be someone who i legitimately think i'd be friends with from the crew and yeah, she's kind of reduced to the whole like one kind of like at any any male mechanic um just wants to go in something fast and and lay with someone when they're done fixing things <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh, uh, you know i i think uh talking about that scene in particular though um you know obviously going past the battery operated uh tools of survival <laughs> in the universe <laughs> That's something that I think the the movie did really well that we don't get a ton of uh, whether it's dialogue or just like specific focus on is the fact that this this crew of people, they have to rely on others to be able to either get the jobs that they have. There's a network of sorts here that are at play. And so we get to see a little bit of that with Fanti and Mingo, you know, the twins that, you know, that that Mal believes one is more prettier than the other. And, uh, line. And, <laughs> and then and then outside of that though you've you've also see uh you know some of these other camps that they rely on that the operative uh, unfortunately burns to the ground um so i thought that was a really cool thing that um they don't ever really explicitly state in the tv show um but they actually show you this network um on the in the movie itself yeah, definitely. Um, but, and, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. and since we're physically here in the space talking about Fanti and Mingo, the bar scene, I mean, <laughs> what, what a cool moment oh, I mean, yeah. when, she, when, she gets, when she gets triggered. But before we get to that moment, so watching it this time for the 23rd time, I, you know, and I was watching it for the purpose of this because I watched it about five hours ago. So I was watching it for the purpose of doing this, this episode. I was looking for some different things. And some of the things that I noticed this time were uh, some more of the subtle things that that the actors do to maintain their character. Mm. And one of the things I noticed this time that that actually made me kind of chuckle out loud is when they sit down. It's it's uh, Jane and Mal, and then Fanti and Mingo, and they put the drinks yeah. in the little the little drinking whatever. And when they offer a toast, Jane just drinks. While yes. the three of them <laughs> have a toast, and it just kind of like reminds you, Jane is just still a blood Jane, instrument. Yep. Like he mm -hmm. just, yes. I'm, this is a drink. I'm going to drink it. I don't care about your words. It just cracked me up this time. I didn't notice it. I, I probably noticed it before and didn't cue in on it, but this time I was like, all right, yeah. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's and still if that was uh, if that was an Adam Baldwin, like just like I'm just gonna do this, like it's not in the it's not in the script. I'm just I'm in character, and this is what's happening. Yeah, that sounds that or sounds could, pretty right. It could be a play on Simon Tam calling him a trained ape that's not trained. You know, that's <laughs> that's how he behaves <laughs> in in the verse. Mm -hmm. And and to your point, Sean, in in some of the ways that Adam Baldwin is portrayed, uh, you know, Jane in some of these fights, especially within this bar. I mean, when people are like getting kicked and they're like rushing at him he's just he's just shedding them off you yes. know like mm -hmm. like picking lint off of his shirt just just left and right and and i thought it was really funny you focused on jane for that because yeah he's he, he is a blunt instrument and 
it's like if you watch how he fights too in the series, he doesn't punch people with the front of his hand. He hits them with the bottom of his fist. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he is as much of a gorilla as he could possibly be. So that Simon <laughs> Tam line, I mean, it's it's dead on. It also probably Holy helps God. that because he's like six two in real life, and in Hollywood, that's like six eleven. You know, <laughs> you, you understand? Like. Because most people are, I'm not saying everyone is Tom Cruise five four or whatever he is, but I mean most yeah. Hollywood is is little guys. So whenever you get an Adam Baldwin or a Chris Hemsworth that like six two six three, like they're massive, they're huge compared yeah. to the rest of Hollywood. So <laughs> uh, you're, you're not wrong. He does kind of whack a mole that one guy, which you almost kind of <laughs> feel bad for. He's like he's getting beat up by this ninety pound girl, and he runs into the brick wall of Adam Baldwin and just has the misfortune of just. Running into that guy, you know, like, yeah. just, anyway, it's just kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we actually analyzed this scene a little bit too, uh, with the measuring the score podcast, because, you know, there's this, there's this elegance to river that they, they display, obviously the fact that, um, that she, you know, she kind of moves with the grace of ballerina, you know, Joss Whedon always try to play that up when he describes her. And so she kind of does this too, in this fight sequence, um, the music flows with her in a similar fashion. You know, they 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 have uh, you know matching score here that that you know it just it just makes a really beautiful scene despite the fact it's chaotic and there's there's all this crazy stuff happening in it. Um, but you know, ultimately here, um, this this one scene just vaults us into the second half of the movie, right? Because now we know that River can be you know spoken to in ways that we haven't seen at all uh, in the entire rest of the of the time that we've spent with Firefly slash Serenity. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of a cool scene um, to to see how they break apart the the TV screen she's looking at and that we've got these multiple different layers of messaging that are occurring within it, um, which brings us to, you know, Mr. Universe, who I like to kind of refer to as the the plot saving device of this movie. Sure. Um, and, and it's not to knock, you know, the, the idea of it, mm -hmm. but it's, he really kind of needs to be there <laughs> just yeah. to move the story along. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. Well, it would be, I think it would be weird if all of the sudden Wash became a master hacker and is able to discover this information on his own because mm -hmm. we've never mm -hmm. seen that. You know, it would, it would have been weird for them. Because the way she was triggered, right? It's a it's a code in, embedded in a commercial for the OT bar, O A T E Y bar, mm -hmm. and which I've seen the entire commercial, which is a trip, by the way. You should you should <laughs> you should YouTube the whole thing. I mean, because Joss basically wanted, you know, like he just said, "Oh, it's it, it's Chinese. It's just it's got to be weird." And so, like yeah. the animators came up with this thing, and he goes, "Yeah, now amp the weirdness by about a factor of 10. Right. That's why there's like octopus coming out of her bosom. Like it's it's very <laughs> <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> what little that you get to see. And if you watch the whole thing, it's extremely weird. Um, mm. but uh yeah, Mr. Universe is a uh I, I the notes that we're sharing, I wrote radio ex machina. We we always <laughs> like to use the ex machina um uh trope you know, on our podcast whenever we can we find an opportunity to use it. I don't know if that's really appropriately named for him because he's not really saving them like an ex machina would but 
um, without him, they would be lost, so to speak. So I, uh, I, I still kind of stand by that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for, and for those of you that haven't taken Latin, which I, I clearly haven't either, but I've, I've used this term before too, uh, literally means a God from the machine, right? Like it, you're, you're basically, uh, it, it's basically the Latin's way of calling it plot armor or we need this to advance something. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it, and in this case, I mean, I, I don't want to knock it a whole lot because I mean, it's, it's, it's not the worst idea to advance this movie, right? That no, you've got no, someone. He, he's a fun character. Like he's well played. He's believable. Other than the fact that, yeah, he's he's there for the plot. But he comes back, which is the good part, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like um, not Chekhov's gun, but like it's the thing where like you, if you're gonna show me a gun at the beginning of the movie, then you have to use it in the third act, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. They showed us this character with his skill set in the. I guess technically we're in the second act. So yeah. we're gonna get to visit him in the third act, mm-hmm. and yeah, and so that's why I think that one, it works, and two, it's not a, it's not a, a, an egregious use of of the rule. Um, mm-hmm. one of my one of my favorites, uh, specifically of the Ex Machina, there's a, a, a author named Neil Gaiman. I think you probably all know who yeah. Gaiman is, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book yeah. which became a movie called Stardust, which I love the movie. I think yes. the book actually isn't very good personally the, mo- the movie's brilliant absolutely the movie's brilliant it really is and the sky pirates are 100 an ex machina to the point that i watched the behind the scenes and neil gaiman said i i couldn't figure out how to get them out of this scenario so i just created <laughs> sky pirates <laughs> it's I just, true i just mm-hmm. literally needed to get them from this point to this point and i didn't know how to so i just invented sky pirates now in the book they only have like three pages it's not yeah it's not what they are in the movie. In the movie, it's amazing. I love Robert mm-hmm. Nero as, yes. a, as, a, <laughs> yes. as a cross-dressing mm-hmm. uh, uh, Shakespeare, Captain Shakespeare. It's brilliant. Anyway. Yeah. 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 They're always shaking their hands at each other when, <laughs> when they're, they're talking. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> just, yeah. You know what, yeah. Sean, I love that you brought that up because honestly, that's an episode I wanted to do for a long time because uh, yeah, that's, that's a, you're, you're totally right though. It, it's, their involvement in that movie is totally plot advancing. And if you remove it, we're talking Tommy Wiseau levels of irresponsibility and storytelling here. I yeah. mean, there's not a way to get them from that journey from, from, you know, point A to point B. So plus, yeah, but plus it also adds, and this is what tying it back to Mr. Universe, because new universe isn't just, I'm here to deliver information. I, I, I have a point. One of the points is to make you kind of smile. And then the other yeah. points is to establish this thing that you're going to get to see later. And so like with the specifically with the sky pirates that not only do they rescue them and allow them to forward the plot, but then mm-hmm. they have a purpose. Tristan gets trained. He also gets yep. a cool haircut. And, um, and then we get what I think is one of the cooler fight scenes. Uh, when, when, um, Oh, Mark strong. When Mark Strong shows up and his guys yeah. are standing there and the pirates bow and they go through the formalities, but these are pirates yes. they don't jump them when they're bound. It's so yes. funny and so great. And we get the fight scene while they're playing. Um, oh gosh, uh, I don't want to sing. What's the because I can't doing the can Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. So brilliant! It's it's just amazing. And then you know, Mark Strong has to bail out because all of his crew is dead, and it's it's so yeah. good. So anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 I, I once again I did want to bring up this this David Krumholtz led you know sequence to 
necessarily uh, bring the film down from a quality standpoint. And I actually think that using David Krumholtz, uh, who played Mr. Universe, was a good a good option here because when we talked about uh, this ex machina concept, sometimes you bring in someone who is like your cameo for the movie, right? Um, and if you don't if you don't understand what I'm saying here, just think of any movie where uh, Christopher Walken isn't a headliner in the film. He's usually your your ex machina moment. He, they're going to bring him in randomly, you know, uh, in the third act or maybe late second act, and the movie advances, right? Um, in this case, I thought it was cool to pick David Krumholtz because you know he's he's obviously a fairly well known actor. He's recognizable, you know, people know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but his level of star power doesn't distract from everything else going on here. Um, so that's why I think there is a little bit of balance, um, even though it's technically like plot advancing and this is the only thing that can really do it. But yeah, for me, I didn't think he took too much from the overarching story. You know, I, I wasn't sitting there thinking too much about him after they, after they leave his little, you know, part in the movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. The only thing I've ever really wondered and, uh, and maybe the comics address it or whatever is that, the station that they go to, the hangar and the big satellite dishes, I, I assume that that's his. Yeah. So yeah, I've always kind of mm-hmm. I always kind of wondered like, is the whole planet his? Or are there other people there? Like, like does he does he run this whole thing? Are there other people there? Like you know what I'm saying? Like, like these are the questions that I start asking. Like, like when they come in the back door or whatever from the hangar and they're stacking up crates, like who's responsible for those crates? Because it's not him. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, does he have? Are there other people there that were killed when the alliance showed up that we just haven't seen, and like we only yeah. ever see his little love chamber slash, um, really, <laughs> mm-hmm. really incredible video monitor display system, which he, for whatever reason, has a continuous loop of his wedding video. Yes, yes. Um, he saves his life. Um, that and that old um um. Uh, uh, what are we forgetting? Uh, the old Superman cartoon that's playing while he's there too. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Max. Yeah, he has the Max Fleischer Superman episode playing, but that's that's neither here nor there. But yeah, maybe maybe the Lovebot is moving the crates because she's probably physically stronger uh, than he is. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's such an inconsequential thing to think about. <laughs> These are the things that I think about when I watch. I'm movies. happy. I'm happy you did bring it up though because. Uh, it, it is an interesting point for this this universe, and we can t- take a moment here because um, when you look at the TV show, the majority of the settlements that were introduced to were pretty much plopped on these planets, and they were terraformed, and then they said, okay, well, now you get to figure things out. And so I, I, don't, I don't know if this is in the comics or not. I don't, I don't have uh, the knowledge to answer the question specifically, but I think that it, it could at least make sense that you know, maybe this was one of those planets that uh, maybe something crashed onto or, you know, maybe during the original unification war, you know, maybe there was some um, fallout from other ships at some point. Because, I mean, this this takes us directly into Reaver territory, right? Like, we know that there is a, a massive battle at one point here, and the Reavers, you know, occupy all of the remaining ships that um, that represent this, like, do not go to zone in the universe. So not trying to answer it on the job training here, but I mean, if we had to come up with an answer that sounded good for the essay portion of the test, I think we could, you know, we could reasonably make this work. Yeah. 
<laughs> but but yeah, I mean, and that's a good segue too because you know uh, this is kind of the the part in the movie where we finally get to see that part of of Malcolm Reynolds that is tied to a very specific portion of dialogue, and I, I loved it when uh, Malcolm dialogue or Malcolm dialogue Malcolm Reynolds said, you know, you'll see something new, right? Like you'll yeah. you'll see something new. Um, and I'm trying. I know I forget the line. Like, I think it. if I go to war, you'll see something new. That's it. That's yeah. It. This yes. is yeah. So to give some context here too, Anora. They've rescued Anora, right? They've had to go to the training house. Uh, we have the great uh, conversation. She she sends them a wave, and says, "Hey, you know, we're having some issues with the locals," which 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 is a plot of a previous episode. Yes. And and you need a gun hand. Okay, we're gonna come. And then. He talks to the crew, trap, and they're like, how do you know it's a trap? Did you see us fight? No, then it's a trap. Mm -hmm. So well, why are we going to go? We have, she's, if it's a trap, then she's caught up in it. We have to rescue her. And so they go and they rescue her and they have the, the fight and the, the operative gets to say the cool thing that this is not what it seems. He is not the plucky hero. The Alliance is not some <laughs> evil empire. Again, thumbing its nose at George Lucas. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, not incense. And that's not incense, which is the most convenient, you know, bomb in the history of convenience. Oh, but oh, I don't, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> and, but I love this scene. That's one of one of my favorite scenes um, of the movie because it shows that not only is Malcolm. A pretty good fighter. I mean, he does get kind of beat up a little bit, but he holds his oh, yeah. own okay. Oh, yeah. But it shows that he's clever. You know, yeah. oh, I, I can speak a word and a missile will be sent to your pulse beacon. He says, well, if you do that, then you better make peace with your dear and fluffy lord, and then throws him the pulse beacon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then at the end, when they when they escape, they do the crybaby. Not the crybaby, but the... the yeah, they send the, the, the probes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they send out yep. like fifteen of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, he said, yeah, with, you know, track. It's a registered transport. You know, track them. He says, oh, we found seven. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. He beat me again. Like uh, that's what's mm -hmm. so great about their their chess game back and forth is that Mal is kind of a step ahead of him all the time. Uh, yeah. For as, for as awesome as an operative he is, Mal is kind of a step ahead of him, which makes Mal such a cool character. I guess technically Mal loses. You know, a couple of big pieces when he goes and kills a lot of the people, including Book, which is such a, mm -hmm. a heartbreaking mm -hmm. scene. Oh really. yeah, it is. Um, yeah. But that was what would led to the the point you were uh, bringing up was that it it leads to to Honora saying, you know, Mal, I don't know who which version of you I'm dealing with, and he says, if I start yeah. fighting a war, I promise you, you're going to see something new. Yeah. And, yep. Uh, and. It's chilling though. It's chilling because mm -hmm. once again, this is a part of Malcolm Reynolds that we, you know, even in the in the TV show when he's fighting a war in the Unification uh, War series, he's still laughing. He's enjoying himself. He's he's almost like a, a chipper in a way. And this is finally where that switch is flipped. Yeah. Um, but something I wanted to mention to you for a moment about that fight uh, between the operative and Mal and and Anara's, you know, we'll call it a studio uh, to keep it PG. Um, <laughs> something interesting about the operative that I think is a very uh, interesting series of like foreshadowing here. We've talked about how, how like, uh, you know, Jane behaves with like body language and things in the bar. Well, the operative is so dismissive in the way that he fights Inara in this battle with Mal, this hand to hand combat. If you watch, he basically sheds Inara left and right, you know, like he just kind of avoids her. He does. He, whether this is one of those feigned respect things, or if this is just, you're not worth my time to fight. 
kind of bites him in the ass because the entire uh, idea of, uh, well, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but when they pull the Reavers in to fight the Alliance at the end, it's it's kind of like the ultimate recognition of, yeah, your righteousness is about to screw you over. Yeah. Because, you know, you you keep underestimating the people that you're fighting against and and it, it costs him dearly uh, in just a few moments in the movie. Oh, I mean, he's he's ex- the operative is extremely arrogant. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Malcolm says in the fist fight, no backup. And he says, they'll come with their called. And he goes, well, you better start whistling. Uh, which is a great line, but but it's the same thing. So even at the end, when you you see Serenity come through the through the clouds, he even laughs and says he's not even going to change course. And then you get the yeah. the, mm-hmm. then the the moment right when when the cavalry shows up, yeah, and uh, and then of course it's this look of panic because once again he has underestimated him. Yes, and and then ultimately really ultimately it's his downfall when he tries to do his little little nerve uh, stabby thingy mm-hmm. and it doesn't work because once again i mean there's no way he could have known that but it's again it's the yeah. same thing where it's he can't you can't treat mal like you would treat any other dude yeah because mal's different and he's a war vet and he's savvy and he survived for a reason and yeah yeah it's a combination of smarts and luck and that's what gets mal through yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he, you're right. He, I think his superpower would be luck. <laughs> he, does, he does have that. Mm-hmm. Which I think well, is also why many of us have wanted him to play Nathan Drake for many years, because they oh, both yeah. just... <laughs> and thankfully he does in a small little short, which is brilliant. But I digress. Yeah. He'll stick to Nathan Fillion in Firefly and in, in, in the movie Serenity. Well, you know, we, we've... I wouldn't say we've batted around this a little bit, but for those of you who haven't seen Serenity and... You know, maybe this is going to be your first time viewing it after you hear this discussion. We do like to give a little bit of a spoiler alert at times, Sean, when we when we know we're getting to something that's pretty poignant in a, in a movie. And that would be the big secret of the Reavers. So for those of you that still want to watch Serenity and, and you haven't taken the chance just yet, this is probably where you'd want to just walk away for a little bit. <laughs> because, I mean, this is the big plot twist that, you know, I mean watching the TV show and consuming the comics like this, this is something that it, I, I would not say this is something somebody could have called their shot on when they first started the movie that the, that the Alliance was responsible for the Reavers. And I mean, and no one knew it. Right. Um, so I was always curious to hear other people's thoughts on this because I thought it was odd that we're talking about space and when people talk about asteroid fields and you know not uh, not visiting a certain area, I go, well, this is a 360 space. You know, there's no way the Reavers could possibly surround, uh, you know, the planet of Miranda in every possible direction. But whatever, either way. Um, what are your thoughts on the the verse not going back to Miranda or not trying to explore Miranda again? You mean like like why no one else has tried to go there or yeah like why, why not even accidentally trying to go there i mean because well, yeah yeah i think well we it's it's a pretty known it seems that the show kind of establishes that it's known that this space here when they show on the little map there on a 2d map this is where the this is where the reavers lives that seems mm-hmm. to be like people know that and uh, i guess another question would 
what you might kind of want to ask is if if the alliance created these reavers 10 years ago 12 years ago and so they've been harassing the uh the outer rim for the last you know 10 years it, it does seem kind of strange that the alliance would just treat it as a cover-up and ignore the problem instead of sending a massive armada to actually just go kill them all mm -hmm. um but again i think the movie is trying to remind us that the alliance kind of sucks and that they just don't care about because if the reavers came close to a central planet then they would do something sure i think it's just to continually to remind us that the just like in the Empire and Star Wars, they don't care about the Outer Rim planets. That's why Tatooine sucks because you know, the Empire doesn't <laughs> care about them. So yeah. I think it's the same I think It's the same idea. But to your point, and maybe that's why there's so many ships out there. Maybe people do the same thing. Maybe they get caught up in that. And uh, it is interesting that the Reavers are mad enough to eat people alive, but still savvy enough to operate spacecraft. Uh -huh. yeah I mean, <laughs> that was that was the thing that i didn't get to it's like you know what i they're they're fun as a concept but i do not know how they execute that like i'm just lost on it completely because like when you when i think space zombies i i think the like the borg are like the perfect space zombie they uh they mm -hmm. stick you you become a borg at your collective they're hive mind so they're not individually intelligent but there's a, a smart thing controlling them sort of thing so that's why they can do what they do but it's still like the machinery operates whereas the reavers are just pure rage so um they are very much like the space equivalent of like 28 days later zombies that just yeah. run off pure instinct and yet yep they can fly ships they can uh target things accurately and shoot accurately and they also don't seem to be really mad at each other <laughs> yeah, they only, yeah. Mm -hmm. they only want to eat people that are non-reavers and mm -hmm. uh i mean these are these are very valid points and <laughs> i've i've had these kind of arguments before where it's like mm -hmm. you know like, do they have a captain is there a captain of each little reaver ship that is is that is yelling commands in guttural tones <laughs> to to his other mates you know is, mm -hmm. is there enough humanity in there to still do the job that they were like maybe these people were ship goers you know captains and, mm -hmm. and whatever before uh on miranda and when they went crazy they just they just took to the skies because it was default coding in them like they knew yeah. how to do it. it's muscle memory i think is a mm -hmm. better term but yeah. it, it it is you're not wrong it is a little yeah. weird that they're able to explore when well, i explore space but they can at least mm -hmm. function know, through it and function. i mean to be mm -hmm. the fact that they are rage monsters the fact that they they tried to sneak up on serenity when they were coming back through shows yeah. intelligence to it. yeah yeah patience mm -hmm. yeah patience that they want to run them down for the up close kill as opposed to just you know, a zerg attack so to speak mm -hmm. you know? oh yeah and, uh, yeah. I like the muscle memory. That's the best explanation I think I've heard about them yet. So I, for a while there, I was just contemplating that, that that maybe the whole rage thing is just an act and they're actually really calm and fine when they're operating the ship and no one's looking. And then suddenly a ship shows up on the menu and it shows up on the, like on the blip and meets back on the menu boys and they get really excited yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, here's one thing I want to make as a, as a point about the Reavers and, and if I'm going way too serious here, please stop me. But when you think about world languages and how they formed, if you just look at linguistics mm -hmm. as in general, most of the reasons for why we have the languages that we do is isolation, right? You have people 
who speak their own methods and they're cut off from other people, whether it's mountain ranges, whether it's bodies of water, in this case, vast amounts of, of galaxy, right? So in my mind, when I looked at the Reavers, yeah, these are some of the same questions that I had that you guys brought up. But for me, it makes sense that with enough isolation and enough cannibalism, maybe it is possible these guys, you know, or created their own language or created their own methods of understanding. Um, because when they talk about the packs, right, the, the injections that the people of Miranda received, they did talk about these heightened levels of violence, but they never talked about heightened levels of cognition, right, in the little uh, video that we get just before the, the big plot twist, you know, all that happens. So I, I think it is reasonable to believe that, yeah, these guys, the, the, the Reavers maybe have a little bit more credit than we're giving them. Um, just because of the fact that, like a good horror movie, we don't see a whole lot of, right? We see a little bit, but um, but there's not like a, a ton of screen time dedicated to them until the very end of the movie. While you were talking, it, 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 I, I was remembering a thing that I think kind of points at evidence to our, our thinking in that, that they're not just mindless monsters, that they are, in fact, they're, they have a function, they have a cognitive function just just they want to eat people because it's because it's because it's in zoe's line from the pilot she uses the phrase rape you to death that's mm -hmm. that's an emotional response to do something like that that's not basic need zombies basic need is to eat you because they need nourishment right that's what we think we have, obviously it's all fake so whatever but <laughs> sure you know what i'm saying but like zombies <laughs> don't rape you right in, in, like they don't they don't need to use that part of the body in order to get what they need whereas in this case if they're doing that thing that's that's what they feel like is a need for them so i i think it, you're right i think i mean the movie does say it it you know it just it heightened their aggression so mm -hmm. i mean maybe you're, you're not wrong maybe when they're on the ship they're just kind of normal they just got all weird and they got cuts on their face and they go to a mess hall and eat the last bounty that they got of, of people. And, and, you know, maybe they, they kidnap people and take them back to the ship and they have, you know, stores of, of people lying around waiting to be, you know, at, um, and then when it's time to go into fight mode, that's when we see them in fight mode. I mean, maybe that's a thing we don't, we don't know. We never see them in isolation. We only ever see them no. in attack mode mm -hmm. or when rivers cutting them in half with big swords. Yeah, and the only expo or the only uh, the only example of this that we actually have to work with is on the TV show, mm -hmm. where we have that one survivor of a reaver attack, and he does show these different sides of of what a reaver could be. Yeah. You know, it's someone who could appear to be a human at one point, but then be hyper violent in the next. And so, once again, that isolation aspect is what happened to this reaver on the TV show. So. I'll, I'll say this, Sean, it was really hard for me to not bring this up on our first episode of this week because we talked about this same thread <laughs> on, on the TV show <laughs> explanation, okay? And I'm sitting here like, oh, I really want to talk about this, but I want to save it for the movie. Yeah, um, yeah that was that was my plot twist that I was saving all week for this was the, was the Reaver conversation because I thought it would come up and I am very happy that it did. <laughs> <laughs> but... But you know what, you know, wrapping up this movie a little bit here, because we, we, we've pretty much covered from, um, I mean, we, we've covered pretty much everything in the film 
and Joe mentioned earlier too about the harpoon uh, going through Hoban Washburn, our favorite pilot, um, which is the only reason why that happened was because all of the other actors had signed a multi-film deal, depending on how this went. And uh, Alan Tudyk was the only person that didn't sign the multi-year deal. That's why he died. Like that's that's it. Yeah, I I choose to believe differently. Um, <laughs> I, I know I know there's a, there's so I'm I'm super. One of my other favorite shows, actually, right now, it's my favorite show right now is The West Wing. I love The West Wing, and sure. and I've done as big a deep dive as I can possibly do into that without physically reading the scripts. And I do know that characters there are there was a character that was killed off in this in the show simply because she told Aaron Sorkin that she went on an audition uh, for another show. Didn't say she was leaving. She said she had an audition and he killed her. So I understand that that kind of thing happens. I also know that Josh, no, not Josh, Joss Whedon does like to kill his characters. He does like to uh, incorporate a little bit of uh, a little bit of chaos. You know, he kills um, Agent Coulson in Avengers, but then he mm -hmm. brings then he brings him back. But whatever. Uh, but he also, you know, he kills uh, Quicksilver and uh, and Ultron, and so he's kind of known to do that that kind of thing. And I always looked at the Wash death as a way of giving consequence to what they're doing because what sure. they're doing is hard and it needs to be hard. And it is kind of frustrating when you see these movies where it's a, it's a group of, of heroes and the worst they ever get out of it is some, you know, bruises and some, some cuts because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like there's any stakes to it. You know, it, it like this be, having him die just reminds you this, this is hard. This is going to be hard. And then when Zoe gets, you know, knifed in the back and Jane takes a bullet and then mm -hmm. Simon takes a, a bullet. And uh, I, I think the only one that doesn't get hit uh, in the sequence is Honora. Yeah. And that's because she's wearing her um, Princess Leia bikini outfit. Yeah. And she's probably killing everything with that crossbow that she learned how mm -hmm. to use. So the reason, okay, I'm glad you brought that. This is such a dumb thing, right? So they filmed that scene um, kind of earlier on in the production, and they realized we've never seen this weapon before or her ever use it. So, so later on, they're trying to figure out how do we establish that this thing is here because Malchus would never use this and neither would Jane. So that's why mm -hmm. on the phone call, he says, you left something in your shuttle, a case, maybe it's probably just sundries. That's mm -hmm, their that's way right. of explaining why she that, That's where the weapon is. <laughs> that's where the weapon came from and that she has a change of clothes. Yeah. Um, they had to put wow. that line in. So uh, that is kind of a, uh, um, a footlocker ex machina. I don't know. <laughs> 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 and I, I'm happy you brought that up because um, Joe and I have talked about movies and how there's throwaway lines. I honestly never thought about that until you just connected it. So that's <laughs> that's that's crazy. I did not even think about it that way. Um, well, I, and I appreciate Joss Whedon for because he mentioned on the director's commentary. That's how I even know about it. And the fact mm -hmm. that that he realized as a director, oh, we've established something later in the movie that we don't have a way to 
we haven't, we haven't connected a path there yet. So we need to create a path. And there's, mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of other directors that would just who, whatever it's, it's just un- understood that she has this cool kind of futuristic bow and arrow thingy, you know, mm-hmm. because, because, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, now, now it makes sense. And now I'll view it with a, a totally different appreciation the next time <laughs> I, I sit down and enjoy it. But, um, I guess in lieu of, of discussing the entire film at length, one of the things I thought would be a good way to kind of wrap up this conversation is to talk about the legacy of the property, not just the movie, but, but overall, right? Like we, we mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit in our, in our episode earlier this week about, you know, what this series did for sci-fi, but in, and I guess in an effort to look for more perspectives on this, Sean, you know, what do you think about um, this universe and, and the impact that it has on sci-fi? I, it does have an impact on sci-fi because it's part of our nerd zeitgeist. Um, it's I don't think it, it will ever have the the outreach that a Star Trek or a Star Wars has because but that's those are massive properties with many many episodes and movies and things and this is what thirteen episodes in a film and a handful of comics so uh, mm-hmm. you know the weight is is very different. But I do think that this is felt. And what makes it fun is because we get references to this series and these in the movie in other things. Now, the one example I'm thinking of is another Nathan Fillion project, which makes it a little unfair. But in his next TV show that was successful, he did a handful of things that didn't, that also weren't successful. But he was on the TV show on ABC called Castle. Yeah. And yeah. Castle was great. I loved Castle. And he would make multiple references to to the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Even as far as having both um, Zoe on and mm-hmm. Adam Baldwin. And yep. I think Alan Tudyk was on. I don't remember. Um, I'm not sure if, if Tudyk was on it. But I remember him dressing up as Malcolm Reynolds for one yeah. of the Halloween episodes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. 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 And his daughter yeah. looks at him and goes, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm just practicing my ho- Halloween costume. And she says, what space are you? Cowboy, again? Says, a space cowboy again? Space cowboy. You know, first of all, there are no cows in space. And second of all, didn't you wear that like five years ago? And he says, but I like it. And then she says, let it go. Yep. And, and yeah. so when I was watching it with my wife, I'm rolling, right? Because mm-hmm. it's because it's aimed at me. That was for me. Mm-hmm. And my wife looking at me going, I know that's from Firefly. I don't get why it's funny, but I know that's what it's from. And yeah. I just I just loved it. I really did. Um but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Fillion is very um I guess he's very cerebral with this this series and and explaining his connections to it. And and, and the actors all are too in a lot of ways. They they're all very thankful for this. Um they've talked about how this has vaulted them into you know, into their careers. You know, Alan Tudyk would go on to have a very prolific voice acting uh, career with like Disney, and and they they basically call on him now whenever they need a big, uh, dynamic voice to come into a film. So, um, you know, Gina Torres also continued to land a lot of solid TV roles. You you mentioned Adam Baldwin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the things that Fillion pointed out though that I thought was really important was that he said that Firefly slash Serenity has such a very well you know held foothold in, in sci-fi and just nerddom in general because it never had a chance to suck that's the exact quote yeah he said this it, yeah this series has never had a chance to suck we didn't have 
you know, like a rough season three or something that you should avoid, right? Like there's, there's none of those issues with it. And so when, every time I, I see that interview with Nathan Fillion, it, it just kind of, uh, you know, it always washes over me in a different way, but ultimately that's, that's, it's truth. I mean, this show, this movie, I mean, we, we pretty much got, uh, as strong an effort as you're ever going to get from, from a sci-fi property. And, and that's what, uh, why I think the lasting, uh, endearing, you know, uh, life that this property continues to have even exists and, and he's nailing the head with it. Well, and I, and I, it does help that the fan base is so, I mean, the brown coats are a thing, right? The, you know, you, the brown coats were just as active and involved as the 501st with Star Wars or, yes. Or with you know the 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 Trekkies or Trekkers, whatever you want to call us, you know, in Star Trek, you know, they're they're a loyal fan base, and they're a, an opening fan base. I, I will say this: being someone that is a fan of Trek and a fan of Star Wars, I, I like all sci-fi. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing that I don't like. I, I've never got the Star Wars versus Star Trek argument. I think that's kind of dumb because they're not the same mm -hmm. thing. You know, Star Wars is closer to Lord of the Rings than it is to Star Trek, but. Mm -hmm. Um, it, but it's and I will say this. It, my point was that both Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans are kind of elitist, and that, um, and we were talking before we hit record. You know, being also fans of sports teams, mm -hmm. there are some mm -hmm. sports franchises. I'm looking at you, Yankees hat. That <laughs> does that does have some some elitism to it, and there are times when like. You'll someone's like, Oh, I'm a Yankees fan. You're like, Oh, well, I'm a Yankees fan since 74. Like, oh, well, I oh, almost yeah. been a fan since because of A Rod. Like, well, then you're not a real Yankee. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's kind of the same thing with Star Trek and Star Wars. Like, oh, I, I only like Star Wars because of the prequels. And you're like, Well, then you're not a real Star Wars fan. Or mm -hmm. I only like Star Trek because of Discovery. Well, then you're not a real, you know. Uh, but that we don't have that with this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if I said I like the movie better than the show, but there's because I watched it first, but I still love the show. They're like, great. Yep. If it's the other way, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's the other yeah. way around. I watched mm -hmm. the show first, watched the movie. The movie left me wanting more, left me with a kind of a bad taste in my mouth because the show was so good. You're like, great. You know, mm -hmm. let's, let's yeah. go watch the show again, you know? So I think that's what's so cool about the, the brown coat community. Well, and you, you brought up a parallel of this at the very beginning of this conversation that this is a kind of a localized group of fans right and it's and it's almost a private club in a way because you know like the main characters of the show and the movie are underdogs in a sense right so it would make sense that the fans would take on that same style of underdog feel you know you, you got a little bit more humility right um the wins are so few and far between that you act like you've been there before as opposed to, like you said, my Yankees thing, you know, the people who are so used to winning, they don't appreciate the taste anymore. And so that, that is also part of this legacy of, of uh, the, the verse is that um, the fans all kind of take on that, that same mentality, just like the scrappy crew that we, you know, have grown to, to watch and love. So, I mean, I, that, that's, that's probably my biggest takeaway is almost like that, the the hairs in the back of the neck feeling of of just the goodwill that you feel talking to other fans of this Absolutely. of this series. But hey, you know what? We once again, Sean, 
we thank you so much for your time to be here with us to discuss this stuff because we had such a great time with our other guests this week. We couldn't think of a better way to to end this week than with talking about this this fantastic film that we got. Um, and so, in parting, um, I always like to to give folks just a you know a, a little bit of a of a chance at the end here to talk about you know what's going on next for their their podcast and and how to find you. Uh, yeah, I first wanted to say again, thanks for having me, and I appreciate you uh, both um, doing this this kind of a trilogy. Uh, this is a really really cool idea, uh, and um, I'm a little jealous that I haven't thought of it before. And <laughs> and the, and the fact that you got the 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 three of us, the the you know Jesse and his and uh, and Ricky, and then Chris. Oh, of Ricky D. Yes. Uh, Ricky D from Ricky. Best Flicks with Ricky D. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then measuring the score podcast and me measuring Chris, you know, measuring the score, he wrote our theme uh, recently. Yeah. Uh, we just got connected with him and he re and he wrote our new theme mm -hmm. because the last theme I had would, you know, would literally get us sued. But, whoops. <laughs> it hasn't yet, but, you know, there's about 230 episodes out there that might one day get us in trouble. We'll see what happens. Oh, very cool, man. Well, hey, mm -hmm. you know what? I my face hurts because I've been smiling a lot for the last, you know, like hour and a half that we've been going through this. So, Sean, seriously, thank mm -hmm. you for for that experience. It was it was phenomenal to to get your expertise on this. I mean, you've been doing this a lot longer than obviously we have. Joe and I have been talking about movies, you know, for a long time. We we just never recorded it. Um, <laughs> but your your perspective has been fantastic. We really appreciate you being on the show and and look forward to uh, having you on again. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. It's a shame that we have to say goodbye to Sean from Cheap Seat Reviews, but we couldn't think of a better way to wrap up the Firefly Verse Week than with a comprehensive review of its last live action entry. As we mention often, please comment, subscribe, and leave a review. Not only does it make Joe feel pretty, but it increases our chances to get noticed across the internet. We'd love to keep making content for you, and this critically helps us to continue. As we wrap up our episode three, Midwest Goodbye to Firefly, we hope you've enjoyed this massive undertaking and the friends we chatted with along the way. Once again, a special thanks to Jesse and Ricky D of the Twist My Arm podcast, Chris and Leslie of Measuring the Score, and last, but certainly not least, Sean from Cheap Seat Reviews. We've quickly discovered a loving family in this independent podcast community. You all have been wonderful guests to work with, and we hope to cross paths again very, very soon. Next week, we dive back into what will feel like a normal week. We're taking a deep look at the 2006 film Idiocracy, a modern classic by Mike Judge that tells a hilarious look at what the future might look like. But is that really something that far away? Or are we living it now? Join us with a special guest who will help us break down the movie. And until next time, keep on dissecting. <laughs>